Chapter 8 No way, I whispered. No way I was going to stay there and let them catch me. They weren't wearing uniforms, but I could tell they were police officers. I knew they were after me. Seeing the two detectives made me forget my fright. A flood of anger rolled over me, sweeping my fear away. I pushed the curtain back in place and edged away from the window. No way, I whispered again. I'm going to find Lucy, I decided. I'm not going to make this easy for her. I'm not going to stand here beside the knife and the handwritten confession and say, Here I am, officers, take me away. I heard the insistent pounding on the front door. I turned and hurried back along the short hallway, avoiding the clothes hamper this time. My chest felt fluttery, but my mind was alert, alert to every sound, alert to every sight, every shadow. I stepped into the kitchen. I had left a light on. I ducked low to keep from being seen through the window. Keeping my head down, I grabbed the back door by the knob and pulled it open. The screen door rattled as I pushed it. Had the police officers heard? Were they coming around the back? I slid out and carefully, silently, closed the screen door behind me. I glanced to the driveway, but I couldn't see anything. I listened hard for footsteps or voices. Silence. I'm out of here, I told myself. Taking a deep breath, I began jogging across the backyard. A hazy half-moon shimmered above the trees. The air was hot and very still. My sneaker slipped and squeaked on the dew-wet grass. I was in the middle of the yard, past a small vegetable garden, almost to the rusted old swing set, when I heard a man's shout behind me. Hey, stop! I uttered a low cry and glanced back. Both policemen were at the side of the house. One of them pointed to me. The other waved his hands above his head as if signaling. Stop! Don't move! Stop right there! They sounded more surprised than angry. I ignored their cries, lowering my head. Leaning forward, I ran full speed. Past the swing set, between two tall maple trees that had once held a hammock. Past a low pile of fireplace logs. Stop! Hey, stop! I turned back to see that they were chasing after me, running fast, their hands swinging at their sides. Stop! With a gasp, I tried to pick up speed. But the tall wooden fence rose up in front of me. The tall wooden fence the Kramers had built at the back of their yard. The fence Lucy and I had helped to paint white. The fence where we had spent hour after hour bouncing a tennis ball and catching it. The fence rose up in front of me like a prison wall, and I knew that I was caught. Chapter 9 I raised both arms and grabbed at the fence, jumped. I had a crazy idea that I could climb over it, but the fence was at least eight feet tall, the top out of my reach. I could hear the two gray-suited police officers shouting behind me. I could hear their shoes thudding the ground. With a loud groan, I made another frantic jump. My hands stretched up as far as I could reach. No, no way. Stop, don't move, the voice behind me commanded. But you don't understand, I thought. I'm not Lucy. I only look like Lucy. The fence glowed dully in the pale light of the half-moon. I took a deep breath, prepared to turn around, to face them, and tell them who I really was. But then I remembered the trick boards, the little doorway Lucy's dad had built for us. We thought it was so cool. The boards tilted back when we pushed them, and we scampered through the narrow opening like puppy dogs. Was the doorway still there? Lucy and I hadn't played with it since we were six or seven. Stop. We won't hurt you. We want to help you. Liars. The voices snapped me out of my paralysis. I dived at the fence. Which boards? Which ones? It had been so many years. I didn't remember. I lowered my shoulder and pushed. No, not there. I let out a frightened cry, the cry of a trapped animal. I tried again, 
shoved my whole body against the boards to my right. I heard a cracking sound. Then the two gave way slowly, two boards tilted up. And I stumbled through the slender opening, caught my balance, and kept running. Through a dark alleyway, past a row of metal trash cans, into someone's backyard. I could hear the surprised shouts of the two officers. Then I could hear their shoes pounding the alleyway. They had squeezed through the same opening in the fence. They were still close behind. I can't outrun them, I realized. I can't run much further. Breathing hard, I let my eyes sweep over the backyard. A hiding place, I thought. There's got to be a hiding place. My eyes stopped at a small shed near the house. No, not a shed. A little house with a slanting roof. A doghouse? A playhouse for kids? My sneakers slipped on the dew-wet grass as I hurtled myself to the little house. I heard the two men at the back of the yard. I plunged into the little house, dropped to my knees, and crawled inside. Then I tucked myself into a tight ball, shut my eyes tight, buried my head in my arms, like a little kid pretending she's invisible. If I can't see you, then you can't see me. I buried my head, held my breath, and prayed they hadn't seen me dive into this hiding place. Over the pounding of my heart, I listened. Listened for their footsteps, their cries. Listened for them to run past, to keep running, to the next yard and the next. Listened for them to admit they had lost me, to give up the search. My heart nearly stopped when I heard one of them shout, Over there. Chapter 10 I let out a silent gasp, but I didn't move. I stayed tucked in a tight ball, my head buried in my arms, my eyes shut tight. No, you didn't see me, I thought, praying hard. You can't see me. I'm invisible. Where? Where'd she go? The man's voice sounded breathless, desperate. I heard him start to cough, a long, wheezing cough. Next yard, his partner replied. I think I saw her go around that garage. Take the front. I'll try the back. More coughing, then silence. Yes? Yes? I wanted to cry out, to leap out of the little house and jump for joy. But I stayed wrapped up tightly, holding on to myself, holding myself together. I don't know how long I remained curled up like that. It might have been only a few seconds. It might have been an hour. I stayed until my body stopped trembling. Until my head stopped throbbing. Until the red flashes before my eyes dimmed to black. I stayed until the silence became too loud to bear. And when I climbed out of the little house, stretching my cramped muscles, raising my hands over my head, I had a plan. My car waited for me in the student parking lot behind the high school my little red Civic, the only car in the narrow asphalt lot. I had forgotten about it after school, in my excitement of following Lucy to the woods to switch bodies. I had completely forgotten that I had driven to school. Was that really this afternoon? I asked myself. It seemed as if it had happened days and days ago. This has been the longest day of my life, I told myself, and the saddest. My eyes darted over the empty parking lot. For some reason, I felt like a criminal, stealing my own car. I usually kept my car keys in my jeans pocket, but I was wearing Lucy's clothes. Luckily, I kept a spare key hidden in one of those little magnetic cases under the fender. I pulled open the door and slid behind the wheel. I glanced tensely into the rearview mirror. I expected the two police officers to jump out from behind the school building, but there was no one around. My hand trembled as I slid the key into the ignition and started up the car. The hum of the engine sounded soothing. I sat there for a while, listening to the car running my hands over the cool steering wheel. Lucy, I'm coming, I said out loud. I'm going to find you now, Lucy. You won't get away. I felt a little better, a little calmer, a little more confident as I switched on the headlights, then backed the little car out of the parking space. 
A few seconds later, I had eased past the side of the school and turned sharply onto Park Drive. A bright spotlight on the front of the school building cast a white cone of light over the bare flagpole. I caught a glimpse of a maroon and white banner proclaiming, Go Tigers! over the front doors. I'm going to drive around town till I find Lucy, I vowed to myself. I'll drive to all of her hangouts. I'll drive everywhere she's ever been. I won't give up. I'll find her. I'll get my real body back. And I'll force her to tell me why she tricked me like this. Lucy, I thought you were my friend, I murmured out loud, easing through a stop sign. How could you hate me so much? How could you hate me enough to want me to take the blame for your parents' murders? As I drove to my house, I tried to think back. Tried to think of something I had said to her. Something I had done to her to make Lucy hate me. But I drew a blank. I couldn't think of a thing. We had always been so close, so honest with each other. If one of us was angry, we would tell the other. We would never keep it inside. The dark houses and lawns whirred past in a blur of blacks and grays. I gripped the wheel tightly in both hands. It felt so solid, so real. I gripped it as if holding on to the real world. I had the strong feeling that if I let go of the wheel, I'd slip away, slip out of the car, into a dark, unreal world and be lost forever. I cut the lights as I pulled to the curb in front of my house. If Lucy was home, I didn't want her to see me coming. I wanted to surprise her. But I saw no car in the driveway. The porch light was on and the spotlight over the front lawn. My parents always left those lights on when they were away. Where are you? I murmured out loud, peering at the dark windows. Where are you this late at night? Lucy, I need my body back. I suddenly found myself wondering if Lucy had been able to fool my parents. Did they think she was Nicole? Did they think I was with them? That nothing had changed? I clicked on the headlights and eased away from the curb. I'm not going to sit here asking questions I can't answer, I told myself. I'm going to drive until I find Lucy. I cruised through town, gripping the wheel tightly. Wherever I drove, Lucy's face floated in the windshield in front of me. I'll find you. I'll find you. I'll find you. The vow became a chant in my mind. I tried friends' houses without success. I drove past my house a second time, a third time, still dark. I tried Alma's coffee shop, a little place where she sometimes hung out. No sign of her. Each time I failed, I grew a little calmer, a little angrier, a little stronger, and more determined to find her. When I finally did track her down, I was ready. She was sitting in a booth at the back of Pete's Pizza, a favorite hangout for Shadyside High kids at the Division Street Mall. I had spotted her through the glass doors. I stopped and stared. Stared at my body, sitting there with two other girls, Lucy in my body, talking and laughing as if nothing terrible had happened. I recognized Margie Bendel and Hannah Franks sitting across from Lucy. They were all playfully tugging at a slice of pizza, the last piece on the tray. Lucy plucked off the top layer of cheese and tossed it at Margie. I don't believe this, I thought, leaning against the glass doorway, staring at the three of them, staring at Lucy in my body, Lucy laughing, Lucy having a great time, while I lived the nightmare she had created. I could feel the anger flood my body, until I felt that I might explode into a million pieces. I grabbed the restaurant door, shoved it open, and stormed inside. A waitress flashed me a startled look as I bumped her from behind and kept moving. Excuse me, she shouted sarcastically. I barely heard her. My eyes were on Lucy. Lucy in my body. Lucy laughing with Margie and Hannah as she tore off a section of the pizza slice and stuffed it into her mouth. I strode past a table of other kids I knew from school. One of them called out, Hi! But I didn't reply. Margie and Hannah sat across from each other. Margie turned as I stepped up to the booth. Nicole, hi, she cried in surprise. How does she know I'm Nicole, I asked myself. I quickly answered my own questions. 
Lucy told her. Lucy told that we switched bodies. Margie and Hannah both know. Just another broken promise of Lucy's. Just another lie, she told me. But why, I wondered, why did Lucy tell them? Lucy is a murderer. Why would she want these two girls to know that she isn't really Nicole? Why would she want them to know that she's hiding in my body? Nicole, what's up? Hannah asked, tossing her cornrow braids behind her shoulders. She flashed me a smile, but the smile faded as she caught my troubled expression. Nicole, are you okay? Margie demanded. No, no, I'm not okay, I told her. I, I have to talk to Lucy. Both girls gaped at me in surprise. But Lucy isn't here, Margie declared. I turned to Lucy's seat. She was gone. Chapter 11 Where, where did she go? I stammered. Hannah twirled the wrapper from a straw between her fingers. She gazed at Margie, then narrowed her hazel eyes at me. Lucy? She wasn't here, Nicole. I saw her, I replied sharply. Margie patted the cushion next to her. Sit down, Nicole. Are you okay? Lucy was here, I insisted, ignoring Margie's request. I saw her when I came in. The three of you. You were arguing over the last slice. I glanced down at the pizza tin, empty except for a wedge of crust. No, Margie insisted softly. It's just Hannah and me. You let her get away, I cried shrilly. Nicole, please sit down, Margie insisted. Margie and Hannah were in this together, I realized. Lucy had told them about our switching bodies. Now they were protecting her. They distracted me and allowed Lucy to slip away. But why were they helping her, I wondered. They were my friends, too. I crossed my arms tightly in front of me, to hold myself in, to keep myself from exploding. I know you talked to Lucy, I cried angrily. If you didn't talk to her, how do you both know that I'm Nicole? They both gaped at me. Hannah's mouth dropped open. They couldn't answer the question. I had caught them in their lie. Nicole? Margie started. She stepped out of the booth and tried to grab me, but I was too fast for her. I spun away and started jogging down the long aisle to the door. I know she's here. I'm going to find her, I shouted back. I heard Margie call my name, but I ducked around a group of tough-looking guys in muscle shirts and black denims who were entering the restaurant and dived out the front door. Lucy is here and she couldn't have gone far, I told myself. I crossed the mall walkway to the CD store and peered up and down. It was late, I realized. Several of the stores were closing for the night. Lights were dimming. Salespeople were locking doors. The mall was nearly deserted. A few late shoppers were making their way to the parking lot. I turned one way, then the other, trying to guess which direction Lucy had headed. She must have driven here, I decided, unless she came with Margie and Hannah. When she saw me enter the pizza restaurant, she ducked out to escape to the parking lot. Walking quickly, I made my way to the exit. I peered into each store I passed, searching the nearly empty aisles for her. Whoa! My heart skipped a beat as I squinted into the clothes closet, one of Lucy's favorite stores. I thought I saw her in the back of the store, holding up a pink blouse, discussing it over the counter with a salesgirl. I turned into the store and began running through the aisle, waving and calling her name. I was halfway to the back when I saw the girl's face clearly, and realized it wasn't Lucy. They turned to me, startled. Can I help you? the salesgirl asked. No, no thanks, I replied breathlessly. I, I was looking for someone. I turned and hurried out of the store. The music cut off as I stepped back into the main walkway. A strange silence settled over the mall. I heard a baby crying somewhere down the aisle, shouted voices, the clatter of shopping cart wheels. Without the background music, they all sounded sort of eerie, too loud, not normal. I stepped out through the first exit I came to. 
The broad parking lot was nearly deserted. A woman in a bright blue halter top and blue shorts was loading shopping bag after shopping bag into the trunk of a beat-up car. Two little kids were jumping up and down in the back seat. Several cars were easing out of the lot, turning onto Division Street. Bright headlights rolled over me, forcing me to shield my eyes as I hurried through row after row, searching for Lucy. No luck. I was too slow, I realized. She got away. Angrily, I shoved the shopping cart out of my way. It clattered noisily over the pavement, coming to rest against the curb. I turned and spotted my car two rows down. Hey! I cried out in surprise when I saw Lucy, in my body, waiting for me at the side of the car. Chapter 12 Lucy! Hi! I shouted. I'm here! My sneakers thudded hard over the asphalt as I began running toward her. Lucy, you're here! I, I've been searching all over for you. Now maybe we can get things straight, I told myself. Maybe Lucy will tell me what's going on. Even from a distance, she appeared tense. She had both arms down stiffly at her sides, her hands balled into tight fists. Nicole, she called. Not her voice, not Lucy's voice. I stepped up beside her, breathing hard. Nicole, we have to talk. Not her voice, not her face, Margie's face. Margie grabbed me, squeezing my throbbing shoulders with both hands. She turned and called to a car several rows down. She's here, Hannah. Hannah, I've got Nicole. I blinked several times, willing Margie away, willing Lucy in her place. But it was Margie, not Lucy. My eyes had played a cruel trick on me. She's here, Margie called to Hannah. I saw Hannah step around the other car and start toward us. No, I shrieked. What were they doing here? Why had they followed me? I, I have to find Lucy, I stammered. I know she told you. I know she told you we switched bodies. Margie placed a hand on my shoulder. Calm down, Nicole, she said softly, as if talking to a child. We just want to talk to you. We just... No, I screamed. The anger roared through my body. No! They were trying to stop me, trying to hold me there, trying to help Lucy get away. I shoved Margie out of my way, shoved her with all my strength. She uttered a surprised yelp and stumbled backward over the curb. She toppled to the hard surface. Turning, I saw Hannah running toward us. Wait, wait, she called. But I didn't wait. I pulled open the car door and dived inside. Margie was back on her feet. She reached for the door as I slammed it. Nicole, she pounded on the window with both fists. Nicole, wait, please. I found the key in the ignition, a bad habit of mine, but now I was glad. I started the car. Margie pounded on the window. Then she made a grab for the door handle. I clicked down the door lock. I shoved the gear shift into reverse. Glancing in the rearview mirror, I saw Hannah step up behind the car to block my path. Wow, I thought. They really want to stop me from getting to Lucy. Hannah waved both hands, signaling for me not to back over her. I stared at her in the rearview mirror. Her cornrow braids blew wildly around her face. Her eyes were wide with fright. Why were Hannah and Margie so frightened? Why were they so desperate to keep me here? Had Lucy threatened them? Had Lucy threatened to murder them too, if they didn't help her escape? Margie pounded on my window. Hannah waved wildly from behind the car, blocking my escape. Uttering a cry of rage, I pulled the gear shift into drive and slammed my foot down on the gas pedal. The little Civic let out a roar as it bumped over the curb. My head snapped back as the car jumped onto the narrow square of concrete dividing the rows. Margie made a last frantic grab for the door handle, missed, stumbled back. I bounced down into the next row. The car shot forward. I could still hear the two girls shouting my name as I roared away. 
I drove around town, trying to calm down, trying to think clearly. But my thoughts circled aimlessly, round and around, much like my little car. So many questions crammed my brain. So many questions that I didn't have answers to. But Kent can help me. The words flashed into my troubled mind. Kent can help me. The thought swept the questions away. I made a wide U-turn and pressed harder on a gas, heading to Kent's house. Lucy took all of her clothes, I remembered. That meant she planned to go somewhere, probably somewhere far away from Shadyside. She wouldn't leave Shadyside without telling Kent, I knew. Lucy and Kent were so close. I knew she confided everything to him. Kent wouldn't talk to me the first time I visited him, but this time, I told myself, I will make him talk. I will make him tell me everything. I will force him to tell me where Lucy went. I thought about my first short meeting with him, hours before. He saw that I looked like Lucy, but he believed me when I said I was really Nicole. And, now that I think about it, Kent wasn't shocked at all. That meant he knew that Lucy and I had switched bodies. That meant he had talked to Lucy this afternoon or evening. Before Lucy murdered her parents, or after she had murdered them? I'll force him to tell me this time, I vowed. I pulled the car to the curb in front of Kent's house. I gazed over the smooth, sloping lawn to the familiar red brick house. Lights were on downstairs. The porch light was on. I stepped out of the car and carefully closed the door, careful not to make a sound. I had decided to surprise Kent, to catch him off guard, to frighten him, just enough to make him tell the truth. I started up the driveway, keeping in the shadows, away from the square of light that washed onto the lawn from the porch. As I made my way past the front walk and along the side of the house, crickets began to chirp shrilly as if warning Kent I was coming. Their whistle grew louder and louder. It sounded deafening to me. I heard every sound, clearer than normal. The scrape of my sneakers on the driveway, the rustle of the wind through the trees along the drive. As I crept onto the back stoop, the crickets stopped their chirping as suddenly as they had started. I peered into the window on the kitchen door. A dim light over the stove provided the only brightness. I turned the knob and pushed. The kitchen door slid open easily. Leaning on the knob, I pushed the door open all the way and slipped into the house. The linoleum floor squeaked under my weight. I stopped, listened. I could hear music in the front of the house, loud rock music from the den. Good, I thought. It probably means Kent is home alone. He wouldn't be playing the music so loud downstairs if his parents were home. My eyes darted around the kitchen. They stopped at the knife holder above the white formica counter. I crossed the room, studied the knives in the holder, and pulled out a long-bladed kitchen knife. I'll scare him with this, I told myself. I'll raise the blade high. I'll back him into a corner. I'll frighten him into talking. I'll make him think that I plan to use it on him. If he doesn't tell me the truth about Lucy. If he doesn't tell me all that he knows. The knife felt heavy and uncomfortable in my hand. I adjusted my hand around the handle. I always teased Lucy about her tiny hands. I always told her she'd have baby hands for the rest of her life. Now I wished I had my own hands back. My big, long-fingered hands were stronger. They would have held the kitchen knife more comfortably. I took a deep breath, edging my way to the front of the house, thinking hard about how I would play this. I'll act crazy, I decided. I'll act out of control. I'll raise the knife. I'll scream at him. I'll make him tell me where Lucy went. When Kent has told me what I need to know, I'll apologize, I told myself. I'll ask for his help. I'll confess how eager I am to get my body back. He'll understand. He'll help me. I know he will. The music blared louder as I made my way along the front hallway. I raised the knife and stepped into the tent. Kent? It's me, Nicole. I have to talk. I lowered the knife to my side as I stared down at the gruesome sight on the den floor. 
Kent's body lay on its back on the tile floor, arms and legs outstretched. His head had been sliced off. Puddles of bright red blood had streamed from the neck. The head stood upright a few feet from the body, propped against the leather couch. The mouth was frozen open in a wide O of horror. The blue eye stared lifelessly up at me. Chapter 13 The room started to spin. I dropped onto the floor, into a sitting position. I shut my eyes. When I opened them a few moments later, Kent's blue eyes still stared at me. As I stared in horror, one eyelid slowly drooped, drooped until it closed, leaving Kent's face with a hideous wink. I swallowed hard, forcing down my nausea. I shut my eyes, blinked several times, hoping, praying that when I looked back, the head would have disappeared, would have returned to Kent's body. Sobbing, I raised myself to my knees. Kent! I murmured his name. The head had been sliced off, a jagged line across the throat. The body stretched out calmly over the floor as if taking a nap. The head stared blankly at his own body, first at Kramer's and now Kent. Had Lucy murdered them all? It made no sense, no sense at all. Without realizing it, I had climbed to my feet. I turned away from Kent's headless body. I gazed at the window. Oh! I cried out when I saw the two faces on the other side of the glass, the two grim faces of the gray-suited police officers. They stared in at me, stared at the headless corpse on the bloody den floor, stared at the kitchen knife still clutched tightly in my hand. Chapter 14 The two faces vanished from the window. I let the knife fall from my hand. It clattered onto the floor, landing beside Kent's outstretched arm. They saw me, I realized. They saw me standing over Kent, holding the knife. As I backed out of the den, my entire body trembling, I heard the front door click open. Don't move, one of them shouted. Nicole, stay right there. They knew my name. They knew it was me, not Lucy. But Lucy murdered them all, I wanted to shout. You don't want me, you want Lucy. But I was too terrified to make a sound. Don't move, the police officer repeated his instruction. I turned and bolted to the back door. I reached the kitchen in time to see the other officer step into the kitchen doorway. Nicole, don't run away, he said softly. He lowered both hands to his sides. Did he have a gun? Was he about to raise it? Nicole, where are you? His partner's voice from the front. No, I cried, spinning out of the kitchen, into the narrow back hall down the basement stairs, two at a time. I knew this house. I had spent many happy hours at Kent's parties. I knew I could get away, if I was fast enough. Their shoes clambered heavily down the wooden stairs, but I was already across the basement, through the narrow passageway that led to the furnace room. I heard a crash behind me, heard one of them utter a shouted curse. He must have banged his knee or run into something, I figured. Breathing hard, I plunged into the old coal room, the floor still black and dust-covered from the days when coal was stored here to stoke the furnace. Up the old coal chute, my hand slipping and sliding. I knew the double wooden doors at the top were never locked. With a great heave, I shoved open the doors with both hands. Cool night air rushed in at me. I scrabbled out, scraped my knee on the door frame, Ignoring the pain that shot up and down my leg, I took a deep breath and gazed around the dark backyard. Could I make it to my car in front on the street? Probably not. They catch me before I could get inside and start it up. I turned and began to run. I was fleeing across the backyard, climbing over the fence at the back. Running, running through dark backyards, keeping low, keeping hidden as much as possible. A trembling, frightened figure fleeing through the darkness. But where could I go? 
Where could I hide? I leaned my back against the wall and struggled to catch my breath. There is no one following me, I was sure of that, but would have heard them in these silent woods. I had run all the way to Fear Street, running blindly the world of blur through backyards and alleys, across empty streets, past familiar houses that now seemed strange and unfriendly. The whole world appeared unfriendly to me now, worse than that, threatening. And so I didn't even hesitate when I reached the Fear Street woods. I ignored the stories I had heard since childhood. The horrifying legends of the street and these woods, those stories held no fear for me now. What could be more frightening than my own life? I plunged into the tangle of trees and shrubs and twining undergrowth, listening, listening as I ran for the sounds of my pursuers, the two grim-faced men who wanted to capture me and bring me back, to arrest me for murders only my body committed, my body, and my friend Lucy, my best friend. Somehow I had found the wall, the changing wall, the ugly stone structure that had started my troubles. As it rose up before me in the darkness, I felt my strength ebb away. I knew I couldn't run any further. I dropped down, gasping and panting, in front of the wall. I rested against it, closing my eyes, waiting for my breathing to slow, for my pulse to stop pounding, waiting, and thinking, about Lucy, my best friend, trying to make sense of this. I pictured her in her room at night, planning this, plotting it, plotting to kill her mom and dad, and Kent, figuring out how she could escape her ugly crimes. Why, Lucy? I knew she had been having trouble with her parents. I knew she thought they were too strict. I knew the Kramers didn't want her to get so serious about Kent. They liked Kent. They just thought that Lucy and him had become too serious too fast. And so Lucy had fought and argued with her parents. But who didn't? That's what parents and high school students did. It was a normal part of life. Not a happy part of life, but a normal one. So why? Why did she choose to murder them both? And why did she murder Kent? Kent, who cared for her more than anyone in the world. Kent, who had always been so wonderful, so kind and understanding. So much fun. Kent. Kent. I kept repeating his name in my mind, picturing him alive. I didn't want to picture him as I had seen him tonight in the den. I didn't want to see his outstretched body, and across the room his open-mouthed, winking head. I wanted to see him moving across the room with that sturdy, athletic walk of his, that confident smile, the flashing blue eyes. I wanted to see his blonde hair ruffling in the wind as the three of us tossed a frisbee around during one of her picnics in Shadyside Park. I wanted to hear his voice, hear his high, happy laugh. Never again, I told myself, forcing back the sobs. I pressed the back of my head against a cool stone wall, picturing Kent alive and happy. Picturing Lucy in her own body, not in mine. Not in a body she stole from me to commit her gruesome crimes. Why, Lucy? I had always been such a good friend to her. Even when she was mean to me, even when she acted superior because she had a boyfriend and I didn't, I ignored that side of her. I ignored the part of her that could sometimes be stuck up and cold. Because I was her friend. Because I wanted to be there when she needed me. And when Lucy had the car accident, I was at the hospital every day. I was her only friend who came every day without fail. Her only friend who stuck with her, who never gave up hope. Even when the doctors had given up, I didn't budge. I knew Lucy would pull through. I never lost hope never lost my faith in her. And sure enough, she did pull through. Lucy was okay, and I was there when we all learned she'd be okay. I was there. I was always there for you, Lucy. So where are you now? Where are you now with my body? Lost in my troubled thoughts, I struggled to puzzle out what had happened to me on this, the longest day of my life. I shut my eyes. I suddenly felt exhausted. I hadn't eaten since lunch. My stomach growled, but I didn't feel hungry. 
I gazed down at my clothes, Lucy's clothes, the tights torn and stained, the short skirt twisted. My hand went to the pack around my waist, my wallet. I had my wallet in the pack. Shaking my head, I pulled it out. Was it my wallet or Lucy's? I held it up and examined it in a narrow shaft of moonlight that filtered down between the trees. My wallet. I unzipped it. I don't know why. What did I hope to find? I slapped at a mosquito on my arm. The wallet dropped to the ground. As I reached down for it, I had an idea. A desperate idea. A crazy idea. But if it worked... I dug feverishly into the wallet. It was so hard to see, and my fingers were trembling with excitement. A few seconds later, I found it and plucked it out. An old-class photo of Lucy. I tucked everything back into my wallet, zipped it, and shoved the wallet back into the pack. Then I raised the little photo close to examine it in a dim light. It was a funny photo. Lucy always hated it. She had her blonde hair pulled straight back, but a thick strand had come loose and stood out at the side of her forehead. The photographer's light reflected in Lucy's eyes, making them appear to sparkle, but her smile was crooked, and she had a tiny smudge in her chin which looked like a pimple. Lucy hated the photos so much she wouldn't give them out to her friends, but she gave me one on the condition that I put it away and never showed it to anyone. And now, examining the photo, I climbed to my feet. I ignored my aching muscles and hauled myself onto the wall. Whoa! I struggled to keep my balance. The top of the wall was so narrow and uneven. This has to work, I told myself. My crazy scheme, my frantic idea, to hold Lucy's photo in one hand and jump to the other side of the wall. Maybe, just maybe, the magic will work for a photograph, and her bodies will switch back, and I will be Nicole again. Maybe, maybe. Please work, I prayed. I grasped the photo of Lucy tightly in my right hand, held the hand out to my side as if I were holding hands once again with Lucy, and then I jumped off the wall.